Welcome back to Why Two Kids. My name is Taylor. And my name is Patrick. And here we are, again, in your ears, back to weekly episodes. It is is very nice to be back to the weekly. Um, just a bit of a disclaimer, I'm sure you're going to hear this on the episodes before this one and the episodes after this one. We've banked a couple, we had some time off, so we've pre-recorded a couple. All new episodes, new conversations here, um, but we've, you know, we've just kind of gotten ahead a little bit. Yes, which I'm very excited about. Um, uh, we are taking this time; it's the holidays as we're recording this, and um, yeah, just trying to trying to get ahead as we as we go back into the weekly vibe. And so, a lot of these um, pre-recorded episodes are going to be things that we've agreed upon. The typical Y two kids. By the way, welcome to Y two kids. This is the show where we revisit nostalgia from the late '90s, early 2000s. We're not '90s kids; we're Y two kids. Um, this. Uh, sort of conceit is based on Taylor does a week, I do a week, Taylor does a week. We kind of bounce back and forth, and that's how we kind of get, you know, the boy shows and the girl shows. We introduce each other to stuff and blah, blah, blah. Um, but we've kind of just agreed on some going forward because uh, that was kind of just the easiest way to do it. And I can't remember what exactly inspired the Flintstones, like watching this movie for this episode, um, but we were just like, I think the Flintstones would be a good idea. I loved this movie growing up, so if there were to be a picker, it would have been me, although we agreed upon it. <laughs> sure, so I get next week is what you're saying. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, yeah, this was a huge movie for me. Um, my dad, so I used to watch the Flintstones cartoons daily. I love them. That and the Jetsons, I would watch back to back. It was my favorite. Yes, I want you to finish, but I want to do our snack of the week before we do the full Flintstones backstory. Yes, and the other the small little tidbit I will give is when I was little, I used to have this easel in my bedroom with like craft paper that you would like rip off when you were done. And my dad uh, taught me how to draw Fred Flintstone. I don't remember how to do it anymore, but my dad and my dad is not an artist, but he was taught when he was a little boy by some kids at school in a foolproof way to draw Fred Flintstone. And between that and the cartoon, I was always hooked. We're going to talk a little bit about our backstory with the Flintstones as well as the 1994 movie in a minute. But we also agreed on the snack of the week, and you have completely forgotten what it is. Yeah, I thought that it was something else, and I asked you if it was that, and you said no. So I don't remember. Are we going to be eating some bedrock? You ready? Yes, I'm ready. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember this. Gotta, gotta take our daily vitamins. Flintstones gummies, baby. <laughs> I always ate the... Well, first of all, I actually didn't really eat Flintstones gummies. Like, they, they're a cultural phenomenon, but I did not... I They were not my multivitamin. I remember one time there was, like, like the, I think the ads were just killing me, and I was like, Mom, I want the Flintstones gummies. For sure. And I, I, got them I like had once. had them at some point, oh, but yeah. I was not like... I know some people who still take Flintstones gummies. <laughs> it um, says, like, for children or adults, if you take it for an adult, you just take twice as much. Yeah, so I know people who still take it. There's no way it's I, not bullshit, right? I don't or, know. Or was it bullshit at one point now they've like... Actually made it now good. Now they've actually made it good. I don't know. I don't know, but if you can't tell, we're a little under the weather. We're on, on the men, so maybe this be will good, be good for us. Some immunity support for us. Yeah. It um, is free of high fructose corn syrup, artificial sweeteners, or artificial flavors, which means it's going to taste like shit. Yeah, so these are the Flintstones gummies. I remember the the gummies must be a relatively new wave thing. I mean, not no, new. We had not, them. not new. No, I remember the chalky ones. There's both. There's Flintstones vitamins and there's Flintstone gummies. So I don't think I ever had the gummies. Do you remember? There was like a Flintstones. Maybe I'm thinking of the Flintstones gummies. Never mind. I was. Okay. This is like really random and really like caretaker core. Um, but when I was a kid, I was the. Well, I was not the caretaker. I was seven years old. My grandfather, who. Let's just get dark for a second. I know that a lot of you guys can probably resonate with this. My grandfather lived with us. He was essentially dying of Parkinson's, not imminently, but eventually we were his sole caretakers. Um, and so my mom, like, didn't work. She was she was his caretaker. So when I was really, really young, um, my grandpa was, like, the cool, you know, old guy that used to, oh, oh my, my gosh, the God, smell. They smell so bad. Let's, let's give it a look. Oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, that's rancid. What? <laughs> Let me quickly. They're not expired or anything. They don't expire for like five years. Let me quickly finish my story. So my grandpa, when I was really little, I mean, he was just my best bud. Like, yeah, he had Parkinson's and occasionally I had, I'd have to call the police because he'd be choking. But 
He was just kind of my bud that hung around and was old and would watch his black and white TV programs. I mean, whatever. But because of that and because of his Parkinson's, he took a lot of medication. And I remember every single morning, my mom would hide his pills. Well, not hide him. Like, it's not like he was not going to take them. But because he had Parkinson's and that can cause issues with you swallowing, my mom would give him his pills in Yoplait yogurt. I'll never forget it. Every morning, she would crush up his pills put it in yogurt and that's how he would swallow them and I begged my mom to start taking pills and like anything and so she started giving me one um a baby aspirin a day um or like not every day but like on the weekends or something when I was spending time with my grandpa and me and my grandpa would sit on the porch with our yogurt and I'd be like I wonder if it's gonna be in this bite I wonder if it's gonna be in this bite because she hit it and I love taking it and that was my, my my introduction and I ate like so many vitamins that were like I like I, you know he would drink like what are those like protein like uh not protein drinks but they're like the shakes like yeah. that like kids drink when you need to like fatten them up because they're like metabolism is so fast like I would drink those with that or with my grandpa because he needed them like to literally put on weight um I would eat these like little chocolate like um like fiber bites I remember that I was like please let me have one so I was like very in a vitamin era as a kid because I just thought I thought it was cool that my grandpa got to have all these quote-unquote treats um because they were always um packaged as treats and not as just like giant vitamins um and so that's very different than now. I like don't take any vitamins. I should. I always say I'm going to, and then I buy a zillion, and they sit in my cabinet, and I don't take them. Um, but maybe, maybe this will start. Although we're off to a horrible beginning this is with a the smell. Drug. Yeah, is this a gateway drug? It's I a maybe. gateway vitamin. I even bought like I bought. Um, I love Ollie melatonin gummies. Oh my god! If you have not tried them, you need them. They are so good. Um, like it, it like good in terms of working. Um, and so I even, I was like, well, I love Ollie melatonin gummies. I'm going to buy the Ollie gummy multivitamin. And I still never took them. All right. This is somebody. I can't tell. Um, this, this is Bam Bam. Bam Bam. Yeah, this is Bam Bam. Okay. All right. Oh, You're oh, supposed to have two. Hold on. I was supposed to have two. Oh, God. Is that another Bam Bam? No, that's yeah. Dino. Is it? That's Dino. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Maybe. This is, this is Dino. Yeah. And that's the same thing. Okay, yeah, it's the same thing, just different. In different colors. And then, well, can I have a different color? It might be a different flavor. I don't know, but sure. And then, uh, okay, I'll get this last one out. Okay, Patrick's fishing. Um, I, I don't know. Oh, that's Dino again. Okay, whatever. Okay, you have two Dinos. <laughs> okay. All right, ready? Throw them back. Tastes like gummies. Yeah, not nearly they as bad as the smell. They smell fucking terrible. <laughs> They're really hard. They really smell <laughs> yeah, they taste fine. I mean, slightly medicinal, but... Well, they are medicinal. <laughs> I know, but like... You can tell that they have no artificial sweeteners or flavors. Yeah, they're definitely not bad. They just, I mean, again, slightly medicinal, and I, obviously they are, but when they're gummies for kids and they're Flintstone, like, maybe they just don't taste like that at all, but they do. They do. So, obviously, like, we're slightly doing this episode as an excuse to talk about the Flintstones, because a big thing of our show is, like... We're not going to talk about things outside of the Y2 Kids era because there are shows that do that. There are many sort of programs that do that. We felt like our childhood nostalgia was not being represented and we wanted to represent it on this show. So, like, just talking about the Flintstones or just talking about Disney, which we've done sometimes, like, feels kind of cheap. So sometimes we kind of find a back way to it. And we're going to talk about the 94 Flintstones in a minute, which I think is a very fun movie. Um but we got to talk about just the OG Flintstones a little bit. I think that this late 90s, early 2000s, the Y2Kids era, that was a killer time for Cartoon Network. Because Cartoon Network... Boomerang. Boomerang is, was the Flintstones. Well, Boomerang was like, at the time, it was like a block on Cartoon Network. It yeah, became its yes. own channel. That's true. But Boomerang, whether it was the hour on Cartoon Network or whatever, like, I loved Boomerang. So, like, this was a channel that would have the 60s and 70s stuff. It would do... Flintstones, it would do Jetsons, it would do uh, Scooby-Doo, right? But then it also did the new stuff. It did uh, Cody and Kids Next Door, and it did Ed, Ed, and Eddie, and like... Kurt's the Cowardly Dog. Exactly. That was Cody Network, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Billy and Mandy. Of course, of course, of course. So, like, that was... It was by far my favorite channel, because it had everything that I liked. And I remember... Foster's Home, which we covered. Yes. Um, I remember watching the Flintstones and liking the Flintstones, um... But for me, it was a Flintstones Christmas Carol. 
because I think it was one of those things that you have. You know, it's like, what Disney movies do you like the most? Well, it's the ones that you had on clamshell VHS, right? This is like, what do I remember about the Flintstones? Well, we had the 1993 special of Flintstone Family Christmas. Wait, no, 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 that's not the right one. Maybe it is. No, a Flintstone Christmas Carol. It was 94, same year. Um, that's the one I really remember. That was like, that's my Flintstones. And I've never even heard of that, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen it. Uh, for me, it was very much, um, I did watch this movie a lot as a kid. I don't want to dismiss this. this sorry, dismiss that. But for me, it is, it's just the, the, the TV show. Like, I watched that on Boomerang, followed by the Jetsons every single day um again my i have this well, those essentially had to be flintstones first because they were old and then jetsons because they were the future and it goes in chronological order you never saw it the other way around no no yeah so um uh yes loved those loved those two shows so so much um i shared briefly my dad and i had this special bond over like he really liked the flintstones and he would watch it with me and he would teach me how to draw fred um but i also had a special connection with my mom in the flintstones in that growing up when i was very very little we had a cat named bam bam um and my, we there was also a cat named pebbles before i was born but, but pebbles passed away before i was born um but we had pam Bam Bam for many, many, many years. She was uh, an all black cat um, and she had like a medical condition. And so she died when she was, you know, a little bit younger than we would have liked. But um, she was just my, my sweet little black cat. And um, my mom had her years before I was born. But yeah, so I had like Bam Bam was at home and my mom used to talk to me about pebbles and I used to draw Flintstone with my dad. So it just felt like a Flintstone family affair, like in, in some sort of way. So I always just felt very connected to the Flintstones. And then it just was icing on the cake that I loved the show and then loved the movie. It's also just sort of like culturally ubiquitous, you know, like it's, it's on the gummies. It's just kind of around, I think even still today, really, like they don't still make Flintstone stuff. I don't think, I mean, I'm trying to do a quick search on the Wikipedia page. There hasn't been, there's been a television show recently called Yabba Dabba Dinosaurs, but that was the first show in 20 years. And, and we've never heard of it, so clearly it was it. not huge. And the last time they did a television movie was 2001. So it kind of just seems they did the Flintstones and WWE SmackDown. Um, but other than that, like it kind of just seems like... And maybe it, died off with our generation. Well, I don't know. I would say that. I was going to say actually the opposite, which is I think it just kind of, just kind of lived on like being a cultural thing it has its reruns and it's on the gummies and stuff so like it has I stopped creating new things yes. is what i was trying to say not died off as a cultural phenomenon but it has like it what has already been created has sustained the next yes. generation so they don't have to be cranking out more things whereas exactly. i feel like there's a new scooby-doo every year yeah. and like some of them are great and i love them some of them stink i just think like when we were kids we were probably the final frontier of like actively wanting and seeking new parts of this franchise and now that just doesn't really happen anymore yeah exactly but you still know who the flintstones are you know and so like i think that was true of me yes i watched them and i you know i had the gummies because i think one commercial was killing me and i watched the christmas special every year but, you know, it wasn't, like, my thing, but I knew everything about them. I knew, you know, Fred has a very distinct voice, and Barney's, you know, kind of an airhead, and they have these jobs, and, like, you know everybody's names. Like, you just know the whole town of Bedrock. I had a CD that was, like, um, you know, cartoon TV theme songs, and this was, like, number one or two on that CD. I remember listening to it a lot. Yeah, and it's number one of all time. It is a <laughs> banger. Okay? It is an absolute banger. And then you, like, you get older and there's, like, oh, wow, there used to be, like, commercials where the Flintstones would, like, hawk cigarettes because that was okay back in the day. So, like, it's 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 lived a long life, but the Flintstones 94 movie was very much like a Hollywood video. I picked it up a couple times because it's it is the live-action Flintstones. They didn't fuck with it. In fact, they did everything they could to make it as that as possible, that it it just kind of feels like a part of, I don't know, one kind of big story or something. Yeah, I loved this movie. I think we can just kind of jump right into it because, you know, you know the cartoon. You maybe love the cartoon. If you don't love it, you at least appreciate the cartoon. It just, you know, kind of is what it is. But 
The movie is really special because it is very true to that style. It is very cartoony, but also very rooted in reality. There are some great, like, practical effects, some great, like, augas, some great, like, <laughs> heart beating out of the chest, like, great moments that are cartoony, but um, the performance is really rooted in this, like, just kind of whimsical, funny reality. I think it's important to note that this movie could get on your nerves. They do everything at 11. Everything is a joke. The name of every place is a pun. Everything is dinosaur theme. Like there's no, you know, even the credits. Steven Spielberg, who, you know, his, his company Amblin sort of ushered this in. He's Steven Spielrock. That's not even a pun. That doesn't even make any sense. But everything from, you know, faking names in the credits is prehistoric you know so there could be a time where you could turn this on and you'd be like oh my it's so overwhelming you know but we were just kind of in the right mood and we you know we like the characters i like the characters enough you love the characters that it really just kind of i think despite the fact that like it's a little hokey sometimes it's a little cheesy sometimes it all still works no yeah it totally works and i think like um you know it hasn't aged too poorly i mean it's I think maybe there are a couple things that there's, could be updated. There's, there's not a ton of where you just go like, oh, God, I can't believe we, we you know, didn't know that at the time. Like, yeah. no, it's the Flintstones. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's still family friendly. They're not hawking cigarettes. No, it's still <laughs> it's family friendly. And, yeah. you know, it just – it's very – here's the thing. It's like you could pick it apart. It could be grading. But it's hard to do that when it is, like, very lovable. Like, everybody, and and we'll get into kind of, like, the behind the scenes that we watched and why this is apparent, but it is it is very clear watching it that this movie is a labor of love, that the people behind the camera, this is a passion with a capital P project. It is, like, their, their tour de force, the thing that they care most about. There are people who work on this film, who, Flin- who the Flintstones are their entire life and and that translates and so it's hard to like poo on something that is just like so committed to being um wonderful and like so committed to being nostalgic and so committed to being um just like happy-go-lucky i I, let's talk about some of that behind the scenes stuff because there's like a little documentary on youtube and i'm sure it's on some of the dvds and blu-rays and stuff i don't know where else it would exist um where it starts with the director. I'm not sure if it's Brian Levant, Brian Levant. I don't know. Um, but he says, I'm a Flintstones fanatic. And I would hear all the time, Amblin's trying to make the Flintstones. But by the time it would get to me, you know, other people had gotten the gig and they were writing drafts. But Amblin and Spielberg, they were never happy with it. And, and, you know, one day he was kind of just able to throw his hat in the ring and say, I'll do it. I think he even says in the little behind the scenes, like, I'll do it for free. Like, I just want to do it. And um, he, he just wanted to get it right, really. And this is a guy who, like, he gets the beats of children's entertainment. He made... And he said, like, he makes he has made a career on that. And, and doing sitcoms, too. And, and this is, you know, the, uh, the Flintstones is the Honeymooners. It's, they just made this a 90-minute sitcom, you know. Um, he made the original Beethoven, this, then Jingle All the Way, then the Flintstones' Viva Rock Vegas, then Snow Dogs, then Are We There Yet? I mean, he was like, this is what we watched. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no. Maybe there were a couple titles. Like, I didn't really watch Beethoven very much, but, like, those are, like, those are some heavy hitter titles. Yes, for sure. And, like, yeah, he totally – and, like, that's clear here. And also, like – you look at, he, like, does his, like, talking head pieces of this behind the scenes in his living room, and it is literally floor-to-ceiling Flintstones. So while he also has, like, general knowledge of how beats work, and he also has, like, a general understanding of how to kind of put together a movie like this, he is a particular flint head, if you will. And he, <laughs> um, he, there's just, like, no better hands for this movie to be in. So, yeah, they say, like, um, you know, he said that he was a big Flintstones fan. The one of the producers says this. He said he was a big Flintstones fan, and I went to his house, and I had no idea that his entire living room was every piece of Flintstones memorabilia ever. I did not realize that, like, there's no place to sit down. It's all Flintstone stuff. This guy is like a Flintstones encyclopedia. And so, of course, this is the guy that we need. We want him as a director and, um, you know, did some pass, created his own writer's room to, did some, to do some passes, excuse me, um, on the script. And that's a very sitcom thing. 
let's make a writer's room. Let's put 12 people in a room and just try and cut, you know, let's, let's work on this joke and this joke and this joke and this joke until it gets better and better. Um, and it feels very sitcom-y. I think because of that, I will say that there is a little part of it that's like sitcoms are 22 minutes. The Flintstones is 90 minutes. And although they do try and do sort of like three or four, you know, interlooping storylines to kind of make it seem like four episodes, you know, that just kind of intertwine. It is a little like it's hard to do sitcom beats for 90 minutes. Our brains aren't programmed that way. So there was a little bit of me checking the time at the end, but I think that's just more like the way that I've been conditioned to like, you can only hear these jokes for, you know, uh, X amount of minutes before a commercial break, that kind of thing. Yeah, like grading is the word that comes to mind. And I, and in this particular scenario, I don't mean that in a fully negative way. It's just you're right. Like it's fatiguing to be like the setup punchline, setup punchline, setup punchline. Like, you know, I – you know, I don't watch long stretches of sitcoms. Like, I was never a person who I know that there's some diehard Friends people on here, no shade to Friends. I tried in college to binge Friends, and I just was like, oh, I'm not this person. Like, I'm not the person to have it on the background. I just find that, the, again, the setup punchline thing fatiguing after a while, and this is definitely a version of that. And I think the other thing that's sort of essential is we should talk about the cast. So, um, John Goodman... Uh, Spielberg a couple years earlier kind of puts him on the spot and at I think it's a press event for I'm checking myself here at a table read for the film always which came out five years before he said ladies and gentlemen I'd like to say something before we start I found my Fred Flintstone and John Goodman had no idea he was going to say this and he he was on Roseanne at the time like this his career was kind of taking off in this way and it does not particularly seem by the behind the scenes thing that he wanted to do it. I think he kind of got his arm twisted a little bit because like he's the obvious choice. The Wikipedia page, which who knows how trustworthy these things are. The Wikipedia page says that they considered John Candy, Jim Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, and Chevy Chase, which basically just makes it seem like they went after like the five comedians, you know? Um, John Goodman is far and away the obvious choice Spielberg knew that wanted to make sure that he did it and if it took a little bit of public embarrassment to make it happen I think he was going to make it happen and although it definitely seems that he's a little miserable on this set in the behind the scenes stuff he is the only choice he is absolutely the only choice We've done an episode on Roseanne. Obviously, Patrick and I liked Roseanne growing up and watched it. Obviously, there's a lot to be said about the show now. You can listen to that episode if you want to hear more of our thoughts on that. But, like, John Goodman is Fred Flintstone to me. It's funny, you know, I, I you know, let's run through this cast. I'm going to go in a little bit of backwards order. I want to quickly rapid fire this cast of this movie, which we're talking about, The Flintstones. It came out in 2004. Then I quickly. 94. Yeah, sorry, uh, 1994. Then I quickly just want to divert and compare that to the cast of 2000's The Flintstones Viva Rock, Rock Vegas. Yeah, and then, and then we can make a deep dive of why this cast is the perfect cast despite having a similar creative team around it. So this cast, Fred Flintstone is John Goodman. Wilma Flintstone is Elizabeth Perkins. Barney Rubble is Rick Moranis. Rosie O'Donnell is Benny Ru Betty Rubble. And then you have some supporting characters, some Kyle McLaughlin's, some Halle Berry's. Elizabeth Taylor makes a great like little cameo. Now let's compare that to a movie that came out before. You have Mark. Not before. It's a prequel. It came out in, in 2000. Yes. The Flintstones came out in 94. Oh, duh, duh, duh. Sorry. Sorry. I don't know why I'm mixing. <laughs> you keep thinking it's 2004. It's 94. Okay, that's what I was thinking. We just recorded an episode. We said we were banking episodes. We just recorded an episode of a movie that came out in 2004. Yes, I'm sorry. So sorry. Four years later, they wanted six years later. <laughs> six years later, this movie comes out, and the budget has decreased a little bit. And John Goodman, I think, got a restraining order from Steven Spielberg because he hated this movie so much. So they had to get some replacements. Yes. And all the leads are replaced. Mark Addy is Fred Flintstone. It was funny. I like Mark Addy. I, I love A Knight's Tale. I think he's great in Jack Frost. I think that there are a I lot of I can't remember things. which sitcom he did, but I liked him on whatever um, sitcom that was. Yes, it was, um, do, 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 I can't, it was, was he, um, King, King of, no, that Keep was, going. okay. Mark Addy is Fred, Fred Flintstone. Great. Love you, Mark Addy. No, no qualms. Still standing. Yes, yeah, still standing. I also like still standing. Um, 
Stephen Baldwin as Barney Rubble. Uh. Hmm, that's Oof. interesting. <laughs> I guess you just got a guy that is a scary Rick Moranis. He's just a dope. I don't know. Uh, Kristen Johnson as as Wilma. Okay, okay. I mean, I usually put her in a bit part. I, I know I'm not like, you know, Kristen Johnson is, okay, sure. Jane Krakowski is Betty. Okay. I wouldn't compl- I think that's, yeah, I that's think, the best one. Yeah, I think the best of the four for sure. Um, you know, like, I'll take it. And then you go to the supporting characters. Okay, you have a Joan Collins. You have an Alan Cumming. You have... Um, no, okay, number one, do not disgrace Alan Cumming. No, 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 number I'm two, not. Thomas Gibson is very much like the poor man's Kyle McLaughlin. <laughs> yes, yes. So, essentially, what you get here is just worse people than what you had in a very direct way. Like, Mark Addy, and again, very funny. I actually feel like people misuse Mark Addy a lot. I think he can be very talented in certain things. He did, like, Game of Thrones for, like, a decade. Yeah, I I feel like, you know, people misuse him all the time. I also think he's funnier than people let him be. That's a whole other thing that we're not going to get into. Mark Addy, in this time period, is a poor man's John Goodman. And, you know, you have um, Krakowski is, you know, not anything like Rosie O'Donnell, but you go like, okay, I kind of see the connection here. Both, like, very comedic, you know, whatever. Um, Broadway. You know, yeah, Broadway, you know, very hamming it up, very, like, personality-based. Um, and then, like, okay, Stephen Baldwin, a scary Rick Moranis, and a dope <laughs> Mick- Rick Moranis. Like, you see the thought process here, but – now let's get into why this cast of the Flintstones in 1994 works so well. well I'll say real quick, the, the director says in the behind-the-scenes thing, when we were casting for the um, Elizabeth um, uh, uh, Taylor part, they were like, who do you want? And I was like, let me just think of the biggest name, Elizabeth Taylor. And turns out she loved the Flintstones. I was like, holy shit, just because I said it, I got Elizabeth Taylor. Whatever happens six years later, according to you, four years later, or negative four years later, <laughs> um, whatever happened in, in, in production or budgets, or maybe they just wanted to cut, I don't know, there was no uh, Elizabeth Taylor? That was not a thing. No. So, you know, it, this movie is, is kind of fascinating for the way it just kind of sits in its own time, and, and like... I think the movie was a relative t- success. Um, you know, uh, Letterboxd is not kind to these movies. They hate this movie. Yes, this has a 2.4 on Letterboxd. Which is bullshit. I, what do you want it to be? Uh, exactly. Like, I understand that, like, I, I think here's, like, my qualms with, like, like I don't want to shit on Letterboxd as a platform. I love Letterboxd. I use it all the time. You know, whatever. I just had my first viral review. That's, you know, a whole other thing. So thank you to the Letterboxd people. I love you. Um, anyways, I love Letterboxd. It, but anytime Doing a joke that everyone else has done but it's fine yes but anytime you have a platform a goodreads a letterbox so whatever anytime you have a platform yeah yelp anytime you have a platform that is like for people to critique a niche thing you have people who just can't can't they no longer see through the eyes of like a general consumer and i'm that way about some things sometimes i'm very critical about we can be very hoity-toity about stuff sometimes very hoity-toity a lot of times we roll it back for the series because we don't want to seem too elitist but we can very much be however i think sometimes you have to turn that off Patrick and I actively try all the time, and this this project in itself, Y Two Kids as a as a project, uh, is something we have to exercise that muscle of like, let's turn our brains off. Is this a good movie? Like for the average person, why did we like it as a kid, and what doesn't work now? Of course, we can pick all of these things apart. Of course, I can pick things apart about the Flintstones movie, but does that actually serve the purpose of the movie? I felt a similar thing about the Barbie movie this year. I gave Barbie five stars. I actually don't think that Barbie is a, Barbie is a five-star movie. I think that there are issues that you can It's think of. not a perfect movie. Not a perfect the movie. The Will Ferrell stuff sucks. <laughs> yes. I don't think Barbie is a perfect movie. I give it five stars because I felt like that that the overarching thing that it did was so transformational. It's like be the perfect Barbie movie. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like I, I, I'm very, you know, I, I really struggle with putting like, I, here's a real fucking hoity toity thing. I get very, you know, in my head about giving numerical value to movies because a lot of times I go like, well, I like this, but I didn't like that or whatever. Sometimes I watch a movie and I go like, that's the most three and a half thing I've ever seen. And it's easy, but sometimes it's really hard. Barbie is one of the first instances where I go like, I am going to rate this higher than I think it is on paper because I am choosing 
to sit with my emotions towards this movie. I'm choosing to sit with my tears in the AMC right now. I am choosing to sit with the way that this made me feel. I am choosing to sit with my childhood memories instead of pick this movie apart. That is just, it, it evoked something in me so strong that it was worth giving five stars. The movie itself is not perfect. This is a similar thing of like, this movie is not perfect. No one thinks it's perfect. I'm not saying it's perfect. I do think it is very good for what it is. And I think it's sometimes easy to, to, to get in your head about that. But I just, sometimes you just have to turn your brain off a little bit. Let's go through this cast because I do think that it is kind of the perfect cast. Rick Moranis... The director says in the in the thing, or no, this is this producer. They were like, "Who do we want for Barney?" And then we thought for two minutes, and we were like, "Rick Moranis." And the first thing I went with was two minutes, two seconds. He's the most obvious choice of all time. What did they do for the other minute and fifty eight seconds? I mean, it's like that is name number one on your list. The perfect choice. He looks the same. He sounds the same. He plays that kind of part. He's a short king. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's... Like, the John Goodman Rick Moran is like, is that, I mean, that's gotta be, like, all-timer, like, we crushed it. That is, like, when Patrick and I do our, on the Feature Presentation pl- Flagship podcast, uh, we did one recently, or actually, no, I don't think we have it, we've even filmed this episode, uh, we've done on the website for a little shop, well, like, a dream cast, and we have in our head, but we have not sat down and record, uh, recorded a dream recast for a stage production of, of uh, Bug and Killer Joe to Tracy Let's Plays Turned Into Movies. Um, but we have one day, maybe you can listen to it at, at the suggestion this, of this episode. That one might've gotten shelved. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, Patrick and I love to do these kinds, kinds of like dream casts things. And like, that is like Patrick and I would sit and like, like, like rub our feet together and like put our fingers together and be like, I have a good idea. We'd and be like, like cooking dinner and then be like Rick Moranis. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is like us, like just like being like, hee hee like giggling like literally giggling kicking our feet being like i know who would be a really good friend and barney in a hypothetical situation and like here it is alive yeah exactly and that is not to dismiss uh you know anyone else especially their wives elizabeth perkins you said when we were watching the thing you were like she crushes she crushes and she is wilma flintstone to me like she just is i don't know like you know i have not seen her in too many other things i'm quickly looking at her thing actually have i seen her in literally anything else? she hasn't worked like as much as you think 94 a big year for her because she did that richard attenborough uh miracle on 34th street um uh, you know obviously big um about last night i'm just uh she's coral and finding nemo but isn't Coral, say, she gets murdered after five minutes? Well, I was going to say, like, I've seen a lot of her voice work, but I have actually seen, like, literally none of her actual she work. She has not worked as much as, as you would think. I don't know why that is. I don't really know much about her. I'm sure there's a reason. But regardless, she crushes in this. Or it could also just be Hollywood sucks, and she got old, and, like, that was it. She didn't get good stuff to do anymore. I don't know, but she does crush in this. Yeah, but she she's so great in this. She is so Wilma Flintstone. She is such a great pairing with um john goodman like she looks the part she is the like petite redhead you know bombshell but like also girl next door wife she like looks perfectly frail next to john goodman in like a in like a dynamic way like she's just perfect she's so good she's so funny she's so like she ground like wilma is a grounding character when you know fred and barney are taking it to 11 she has to bring it back down to seven she's mom she's motherly it's a very traditional man woman kind of role play here and she does her part so well um rosie o'donnell they even admit like she is not who you think of when you think of betty rubble she's just not and you're and she's not but i wouldn't totally agree with that but i understand what they're saying um you know but she i think she's great in this role i think the thing that's aged worst the the worst oh sorry the thing that has aged the most poorly about this movie is maybe her involvement um well but. this i mean this kind of decade ish i mean she was at the top of the mountain i mean uh, you know this you know sure but um I'm trying to a league of her own uh, uh, here it is here it is 90, 90, 96 to 2002 when she's hosting the Rosie O'Donnell show, it's the years around that where you're right. She's just, I mean, Sleepless in Seattle, The Flintstones, Harriet the Spy was a huge kids movie, Tarzan, 
Um, she's producing a ton. She's doing a ton of producing work on Broadway. She did um, Rizzo in Greece. That was one of her, you know, big things. Like, I mean, she is, she, this is the, the very top of the mountain for her. Um, you know, she wanted to do The View and stuff like that. But when, when, when she was um, acting, this is very much like, um, yeah, she's a really good actress. And she says like, something along the lines of, they weren't totally sure of me. And then I did the, the Betty Rubble laugh. And I killed it, and they were like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, she, and, like, even, we just saw Hedwig and the Angry Inch uh, recently at a screening, and, I mean, Patrick's seen the movie a zillion times, it was my first watch. Um, she has, like, she, like, makes an appearance in that. Like, she's doing very varied things, varied projects. She's splitting her time diversely. Like, she, it, she can do anything and is choosing to have diversity in her projects. Here's a, nobody cares who's listening to the Flintstones episode, but I'm just going to say it while it's on my mind. That clip where she introduces Hedwig, that was John Cameron Mitchell just actually doing it in real life to promote the off-Broadway show, and then they repurposed it for the for the movie. Very interesting. That's why it cuts off, because it's like, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, because ah, she's about to say, at the blah, blah, blah theater. That's so funny. Well, anyways. Um... Yeah, so, you know, she, she, if I had, like, painted a picture of Betty, I don't know if I would have landed on Rosie O'Donnell, if, you know, when I wouldn't be kicking my feet and giggling like I would for Rick Moranis and Fred Flintstone, or, and John Goodman, um, which are interchangeable. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> or you could have just not corrected yourself. Yeah, um, but she, she's great, she's great, she has a great dynamic, I think, with Elizabeth Perkins, um, and she is, like, a, um, you know, I think, like, there is something to Fred and Barney are both silly goofs, but Barney is goofier. Barney is dumber. And Bam Bam is off the fucking rails. Pebbles is nice and quiet and sweet. So there needs to be a dynamic in that family of, although they're both kind of silly and sitcom-y, there has to be a dynamic in this family of like, well, the you know betty can't just be perfect all the time because because then it doesn't make sense that she's with a total doof like you know barney and doesn't it give doesn't, her anything to do and it doesn't make sense for bam bam to be out of fucking control because what is she doing if she's not keeping the family tied down so i think having a comedic presence like rosie o'donnell like really paints a perfect picture for this family unit and this isn't to shit on the rebels i'm just saying like it <laughs> it, it creates a, a let's talk about how the rebels are bad parents yeah. <laughs> it just is like it's it it paints a dynamic for you that I think works very very well. Um, and then yes, you've got Kyle McLaughlin as the main villain, Halle Berry early in her career, obviously Elizabeth Taylor. But then you get like um, Hannah and Barbara of Hannah Barbera play bit parts. You know, you've got bit parts played by comedy legends Harvey Korman. Uh, Lorraine Newman, you've got some Jonathan Winters. Richard Mole has done a zillion things. I mean, even all the way down to like Sam Raimi plays a bit part. The B-52s play the B-C-52s. That is funny. And like, that's the kind of thing. Everything is built around a joke like that in some way. Jay Leno is like, <laughs> a, it's a TV host. Bedrock's most wanted. Yeah. Um, so it's like, it's very deep. That can also mean that it can get a little tiresome i think it's tough for 90 minutes but that doesn't mean that they didn't think everything out everything was important my letterbox for this movie or letterbox review for this movie was two words remember sets they build these huge sets everything obviously it's 94 you have to right but everything is a giant set that they took care in that they wanted to give the right silly little jurassic you know uh, punny nickname you know um, they have thought everything out. There's nothing lazy. We haven't watched FIFA Rock Vegas. I don't know if we will. I would imagine that it starts to kind of get a little like, eh, whatever. There's no, eh, whatever. Everyone like thought deeply, even if it's, even if the product is silly, they thought deeply about how to be silly. Yes. This is the, the, like, there is no better example. I mean, maybe there are, but for all intents and purposes, there's no better example of a cartoon coming to life because they did put that care into it. They wanted to build this world exactly as it would be if the cartoon jumped off of the screen and into the real world. And it is so unbelievably successful in that from every single character, even the smaller ones, like it is just so well thought out. Uh, 
we used to do IMDb trivia a lot on the Vince Vaughnathon because I think it's silly and half of it's fake and I get a big kick out of it. And if you ever listen to that show, which the full archive is there, you should go back and listen to it. Um, you know, uh, uh, you can see us doing that before. This, though, I do think there's some valuable stuff in here that I, I do want to read out. Um, just some, some cutesy stuff that's like, since the entire cast performed barefoot, glassware was banned from the set. That's super cute. You know, there's there's cute stuff like that. But then there's also stuff that's like um, the Bedrock set took two months to build and accounted for 10% of the film's four point, or $45 million budget. That means $4.5 million. $5 million just on building the damn sets. And the sets are expensive. Like, I know there are a lot of movies that spend $5 million. But, like, this is 1994, $5 million. This is... We have to build everything. You can't go to a location for stuff like this. You have to build it. And, like, it would have been cheaper to just buy rocks. But because <laughs> it is a cartoon, yeah. they are not stacking up rocks that they can get at wholesale prices from a rock dealer that de- that deals in Hollywood, as I'm sure there are. They are having to build cartoonish rocks that are just cartoonish and just real enough to be believable for this world. Like, it is insane the time that went into this and the money. And, like, you know, they, they play at the park – they didn't have to put a giant sign that says Jurassic Park, but that movie came out a year before, maybe Spielberg. That bit was important to them. That bit was worth however much that sign cost, you know. Um, that it's that kind of stuff is everywhere. Speaking of Spielberg, apparently he threatened that the movie would not get made if John Goodman wouldn't do it. That's how insistent he was. He was right. He knew. That's also probably one reason why John Goodman kind of resents the idea. To be, he kind of felt like he got bullied into doing it. He didn't want to do it. And although he knew that he was perfect, he was miserable. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I feel like we talk about typecasting all the time, but I feel like, you know, that's an important thing here is, like, that is the plague of, of, of typecasting is sometimes when you are an actor and you're an actor who needs work, not to say that, that – um, uh, Oh my gosh, Sean Goodman couldn't have been picky at this point in his career. He could have. But sometimes you recognize that as a character actor, as someone who does a very specific niche thing, that you will be approached for projects that you are perfect for. And you have to grapple with yourself. Do I want to take a project that I don't want to do that I'm perfect for and disappoint people by essentially making someone else that's not as good do it? Or do I want to, you know, suck it up and be a good sport? And, you know, clearly John Goodman, whether by real choice or being voluntold, he decided to suck it up. And, you know, the product is infinitely better for it. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, let's, let's, Take the care to get it right every time. If we're not going to get John Goodman, we're not going to do it. If we can't get the Jim Henson Creature Shop to make these dinosaurs, we're not going to do it because they're the only people that can understand this. You know, every single bit is thought out. Every single bit is, you know, it's all the way down to when there are pictures of Fred, they are pictures of the cartoon. You know, everything is thought out. And so, like, yeah, it can get to be a little much, but they, they cared. The director really, clearly really cares. He's a Flintstones head. Is that what you call them? I said a flint head. A flint head. Uh, but, you know, it, there was really this just kind of like, I don't know, I hate to be that like, and we don't get stuff like that anymore. It is very rare that we get stuff like this. And if we do, it doesn't have these kinds of sets, and it doesn't have this kind of perfect cast. Like, I cannot think of a recent project where I'm like, um, there, there were no corners cut ever. Yeah, I mean, like, Saltburn is the most recent thing where I went like what a stellar cast and even then like people could have been switched out and it could have worked. But that's also but, not a huge yeah. tentpole Spielberg forty-five million dollar movie. It's also not like that. Like those characters. I'm talking about for like blockbusters. Well, yeah, I and I I I more mean like that is a stellar cast, but like we don't know what Saltburn is. Like it is also partially Saltburn because of the cast that was created. This movie made three hundred and forty-two million dollars. Yeah, and so you know it, it's also like it is harder to cast like going back to Saltburn for an example all those people fucking crushed it we talked about it in a recent episode of feature presentation or as which could have been three months ago yeah. I don't know. Uh, as you're as you're <laughs> listening to this it, it came out um you know in december but um if you want to go back and listen but essentially like saltburn is saltburn because of the people who were cast and it would have been a slightly different saltburn if different people were cast we wouldn't have anything to compare it to whereas the flintstones you are matching it to characters that people love and are looking for you to make good casting decisions on. And um, sometimes I see these like videos on TikTok or YouTube or whatever, and they'll go like 
my dream cast for blah 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 animation and or my dream in real life cast and they just pick people who look like them and i go like name a fucking movie that that person's been in or did you or did you you know like google like you red the imb headed, top 250 you went like redheaded you know 22 year old you know whatever actors and then you pick someone that looked the most like them like no you're not actually like doing your research or like not to say that everybody does this but that that's like one of my pet peeves this is so well thought out. It's like, not only do they look perfect, but they are perfect in the way that they are. And every single thing is tied up in a neat little bow. And like, that's how it should be. The sixth highest grossing movie of 1994. What a year. Six to one. Six, The Flintstones, 32, $342 million. Five, Speed, one of the great action movies. Is that the Keanu Reeves movie? Yes. Okay. Sandra Bullock. Four, The Mask, we've talked about on Y2 Kids. So good. So good. Uh, three True Lies, big Schwarzenegger, Jamie Lee Curtis, Jim Cameron movie. Two Forrest Gump, one The Lion King. 1994 was a hell of a year, and there's a reason why there were a lot of '94 movies on the shelves of Hollywood Video. Big year for kids too, and also you have to think like Dumb, Dumb and Dumber Dumb. was huge. Four Weddings and a Funeral was huge. Interview with a Vampire was pretty big. What was the last one on that list? I missed uh, it. Um, danger. I don't know that it's one. It's a Jack Ryan movie. Um, but yeah, um, big, big year. And, um, yeah, I think like it is interesting to me and, in, in how we've talked about like, oh, it just like, it, it seems like with this movie, things very quickly dropped off into like, we don't need any more of this, but we will continue to love and appreciate this franchise. And it's amazing that just six years later when they created, you know, Viva Lock, Viva Rock Vegas, um, yeah, there clearly already wasn't a market for it. And they knew, and they were preemptive about that they would have just said john you have to come back they would have just done that they would have he would said, not have done it. well just you know they would have said elizabeth you have to come back rose you have to come back you know elizabeth taylor you have to come back like she was they, dead but yeah you know you, sorry you know what i mean i do know but i'm just saying like they would have been more insistent on creating that but they knew they went like Ugh. Mark Addy, Steven, Steven, stop calling me. Sure. Oh, whatever. she was not dead. I thought she she actually only died 10 years ago. Okay, that's what I thought. No, I guess she just reti- I, I saw thing that was her final movie, so I guess she just like retired. Um, but yeah. My B. But yeah, I just feel like, you know, they would have pressed harder if they thought that it was worth it, but they clearly knew that it wasn't going to be for whatever reason, despite having a similar creative team. I can't imagine being Levant, I guess is how we're going to say it, Levant. Levant? Levant? I don't know. I don't know. I can't imagine being him and being the director and you directed John Goodman, Rick Moranis, Elizabeth Perkins, Rosie O'Donnell, Kyle McLaughlin, Elizabeth Perkins, Halle Berry, and then six years later, Mark Addy. All right, stop pooing on these. No, I'm not, but I'm just like, I can't. can't, It's definitely a culture shock. It's a culture shock. Like, I can't imagine, like, working on both of those things because how do you not compare You know what it is? It is you find the perfect cast for Broadway but then you have to do the non-equity national tour and you have to get all people straight out of college. And I guess that's the thing is like how do you um how do you not compare? You yeah, you yeah. do. You just do. You compare um in the same way that like if you go and see let's like not even considering non-ec it's like if you go to see Waitress on Broadway and you see the original run and you see or you see Sarah Bareilles and then you go and you're seeing Colleen Ballinger. I not I know they didn't play the same roles, but you know, like whatever, you're seeing like your sixth sub. Um, you you compare the two. You say like this works and this didn't, and like this is weaker. And yes, I can see it's like Hades Town. Like Reeve Carney is now gone, and you know Eva Eva um, Noblezada. Thank you. Have both left, and now people that are just like exciting in their own right, but are not Reeve Carney and Eva, Eva Noblezada. Like they are, you know, they're gone. When Jeremy Jordan leaves a production, you compare it to Jeremy Jordan. Okay. <laughs> I saw little shop of horrors off Broadway. I saw it with, um, Corbin blue, uh, as Seymour and Constance Wu as Audrey. I also saw it with someone I can't even Matt remember. Doyle played Seymour, Matt Doyle as Seymour. And I, um, you know, I saw Maude Apatow as Audrey. Now I didn't even see the original Broadway cast or original off Broadway cast of either of those, but like, you just will compare. And I can't imagine as a consumer comparing the two movies as, you know, watching them, working on that movie, going, this is going to be remembered as the the one and only perfect Flintstones live action movie 
let's do it again but worse. <laughs> and again, I'm not trying to poo on that. We gotta watch this movie. <laughs> we we gotta put our theory to the test. Um, but like, I feel like it's like we're like we're reading Entertainment Weekly and we're like Mark Addy. You know? Yeah, yeah. I know we're being a little <laughs> we're catty. Like reading the trade. We're being catty bitches right now, but you know, it just it just is what it Stephen is. Stephen Baldwin. Yeah, Stephen Baldwin. Like I just like drinking my morning coffee and just spit it out. You know, just like I just I don't know. I just those people are fine in their own right, but you cannot say that they were not cheaper and easier to get and are not as good of a choice. I think the budget was like twice as much. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to check now. Is the budget for the original 45, budget for, yeah, 83. I can't. So what the fuck? So I can't help (laughs) but We got to watch this movie. I can't help but wonder. And if if John Goodman said, like, absolutely not. This is our final point. We got to go after this. And they went, like... If we can't have John Goodman, we're not going to have any of them. We need to just go in a different direction because it's going to be especially weird to just have Mark Addy and Elizabeth Perkins and Rosie O'Donnell and and Rick Moranis. Uh, like I maybe that's not true, but I can't help but wonder was or was it a thing of like John Goodman was like no, and then Rick, Rick was like, uh, well if he's not coming back, I'm not coming back, and Elizabeth was like, well we're not going to just keep Elizabeth. Like I, I I wonder how the cookie crumbled with this casting. We're going to have to find out. That one was nominated for four Razzies. Worst picture, worst supporting actor for Stephen Baldwin, worst supporting actress for Joan Collins, and worst remake or sequel. It Which was, is so crazy. It was also nominated for a bunch of stinkers bad movie awards. <laughs> Which is so crazy because, again, this is where, you know, like Letterbox can be, you know, great and it can also be a terrible, terrible hive mind. Like, the Flintstones, two th- or 1994, um, is a 2.4 on Letterboxd. Rock Vegas is 2. A point four difference? <laughs> I can't imagine that's true. We've I also can't imagine that The Flintstones is a 2.4 movie. Because it's not. Stay tuned next week, folks, when we talk about The Flintstones' Viva Rock Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> no, I need what, were, what would we say that wouldn't just be this conversation again? At I this know, point? I know. We, we, we will watch it. it. We'll watch it in our free time, um, and then we'll we'll update you when, when you when you least expect it and, <laughs> and when you don't care. In the middle of the Tarzan episode. Yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, speaking of Rosie O'Donnell, yeah, we forgot yeah, yeah. to mention. Um, okay, yeah. So, uh, I don't, I'm joking. I don't actually know what's coming next week because everything that we're doing right now is banked. Everything's pre-recorded. We get to catch up a little, get ahead, catch up however you want to put it a little bit as we, we get back to weekly episodes. Um, so, whatever that episode is next week, you're going to want to hear it. Hit subscribe on your podcast app of choice. Go to our website, featurepresentationvideo.com. That's where we have a bunch of free stuff, um, podcast reviews, columns, uh, stuff five days a week over there. You can head over there. Whatever this next episode is going to be, you're going to want to hear it um, and, and how much we uh, poo on its sequel. Um, it's going to come out weekly now. And so wherever it is, you're going to want to find it. You can also find the show at Why 2 Kids Pod on Twitter. You can also send us an email, why 2 at gmail.com. You can find me on Letterboxd at Taylor Malone, where I will rave about this movie until the day I die. You can find me on X at Mailer Talone. You can find me at Patrick J. Regal, everywhere you find people online. But the best place to find us is the best place to find us is our website, futurepresentationvideo.com. Next week, not sure which one we're gonna pull out of the vault, but it'll be a good one. See you then.